This is Maine Coast Doc Talk, a podcast bringing you the latest news and stories from Maine's working waterfronts. This podcast is brought to you by the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. I'm your host, Ben Martens. It's Friday, May 13th, Friday the 13th, 2016, and welcome to Maine Coast Doc Talk. I'm here with Monique Coombs, and we're going to be listening to an interview I did today with Anne Hayden. Uh, it's actually an old interview I did with her from last summer on her project with the Down East Fisheries Partnership, which is working to bring back river herring runs and forage fish in Down East sections of Maine rivers. And, uh, and kind of talking about the ties in between rivers and ocean ecosystems and bringing back the fishery populations in Down East Maine through restorations of river. It's some pretty cool stuff. Uh, so we'll be listening to that interview. But first, I wanted to chat with Monique about some things in the news. And um, actually, just a quick highlight from our previous uh, discussion that we had on Doc Talk about the Caches Monument. And I just want to apologize because there was some uh, feedback in the recording that we did. Uh, we were using Skype. I think we figured it out moving forward, but I just did want to say I listened to it. It was annoying. I acknowledge that. I'm sorry. We'll do better, I promise. So, Monique, Hi, what ben. have you seen in the news? Uh, well, I saw an article. It's actually from last month, but I think we've seen it a few times about um, the amount of mercury contaminants in fish has gone down, which is fantastic. Um, we can thank things like clean water regulations, lawsuits, and other stuff like that. Um, the only thing is that with these articles that I read about this, um, there were always caveats about how there's still some fish that have some toxins and they bring about imported seafood. And I just have to say that I imagine as a consumer, it must be extremely complicated to read these things and understand what to eat for fish because you start to worry about imports and contaminants. And I just want everybody to know, although if they're listening to our wonderful program, they probably already know this. And that is that you should just eat lots of seafood, um, regardless of what the contaminant is, although it stinks when that's in fish. Um, well, I mean, we can't say regardless of what the contaminant is. Well, yes, is. because you didn't let me finish my sentence. All right. Sorry. That was a, that was a long sentence. Uh, thanks, Ben. Yep. So what I was trying to say was people don't eat enough fish as it is. The, the amount that they would have to eat to have any kind of contamination, even if they were pregnant, is more than anybody's eating at all right now or ever will. So the focus should be on eat lots of seafood. Obviously, Maine-based fish should be your first option, then New England, and then the United States. And I would hope that consumers, either, as they're reading these complicated articles, take the information from them that they need and then eat lots of fish. Well, and so I... I actually found that article, I saw that article that you're referencing, and I found it really interesting because even working within the fishing industry, you still kind of have that deep-seated like worry about pregnancy and consumption of fish and heavy metals. And so I just I found that article, like it hit on it quickly that, oh, like you should be eating fish while you're pregnant. You should and definitely be eating fish while you're pregnant. Are you pregnant, Ben? I'm, I'm not, <laughs> although I may look at a little bit. A little bloated. Are you bloated? Yeah. yeah. 
um, I actually, I think because of my experience with like bluefin tuna fishing and all that have never, ever worried about mercury content in fish. Uh, I think you've got bigger problems with things like hot dogs and deli meats and the amount of nitrates that are in them. Fish, it's so healthy. There's so much selenium, iodine, um, and tons of vitamins in them that are so good for you that even before this study came out, they had said that pregnant women should eat lots of fish because those um, vitamins are better for you than the small, tiny, tiny risk of mercury poisoning that really doesn't exist. Just as a quick aside, I, I love hot dogs. So okay. we're not... Don't eat them when you're pregnant, okay? I'll try and avoid them while okay. pregnant, but I can make no Red promises. hot dogs or regular hot dogs? Regular. I don't like the red ones. Uh, I can't do it. I'm not a real Mainer, so... so yeah, yeah, I was going to say it's bad news bears. Yeah, but no. That's people cool. can take their red hot dogs and we won't judge and they you. can have their own little uh, I mean, we'll continue party. to judge you, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my article that I wanted to talk about is a little bit different than seafood it's actually about science and this is uh, an article that came up in the Boston Globe earlier this week it was written by David Abel and it's talking about in so in New England the way they figure out how many fish the fishermen are allowed to catch every year is they send a boat out into the ocean and they do a survey tow uh, and they do a lot of survey tows all throughout the ocean and then they take that data, they put it into very complex models, and at the end of that process, they come up with a number of fish that can be caught. The boat that is supposed to be doing these survey tows broke, broke down. So right now, it is a month and a half behind schedule in going out and doing these tows, and they've been doing these tows in the same spots at the same time of year for the past 40 years. So there's a lot of concern about what will happen to the data now that we are throwing this monkey wrench into the entire system of catching fish later on in the season from when they normally would have been caught. And it's actually potentially making a, a, an effect of it's already taking place much worse in that many fishermen are concerned that we have not adjusted when we're doing our survey tows to compensate for global warming and ocean warming. And so fish are very dependent. They move around based upon the temperature in the water. And so if you've been doing a survey tow for 40 years in the same spot and that spot has gotten warmer, there might not be fish there. And now we're pushing the survey tow back another month and a half. The impacts on our stock assessments and the fishing businesses and what fishermen can catch could be just astronomical because of this one year. Uh, and so he did a great job of, of looking into this and, and digging into what you do there. But there's not a lot of options for how you account for this except for discount the data. So I thought it was a great article um, by David. He's been doing some really great stuff looking at fisheries issues in New England for the Boston Globe. So I wanted to highlight that and, and throw that out there. Can I get a, I have a question and yeah. I, I didn't read the article and I apologize for my ignorance perhaps in this question, but everything that you said made sense to me. Why was there no backup plan in place for this kind of thing? So they built this gigantic boat several years ago. Was it Bodie McBoatface? It was not Bodie <laughs> McBoatface. It. No, it's actually it's actually named after uh, Bigelow. So okay, you know, right. it's it was a f very famous uh, oceanographer. So um, they they don't have a backup because this boat is so specialized and unique. They spent millions and millions of dollars on it. They couldn't have another one lying around uh, in wait. And a lot of fishermen actually offered to go out there and use their own boats to do this, but it, it would change so much in the survey tows that that data wouldn't be useful. So. Huh. 
Okay. Okay. Perfect. So we are now going to dive into the interview that I did with Anne, and it's actually really great timing for this because we're starting to see the river herring run in our rivers again uh, throughout New England and in Maine. They kind of uh, move up the rivers at different times depending upon where you are on the New England coast, and they're starting to move in Maine, so this is really exciting. But uh, I just do want to do a quick note on the interview. Uh, I did this with Anne out on a dock last summer, and there's a little bit of, of feedback from some of the wind, but you can also hear the birds and the ocean, which is, which is pretty neat. So enjoy the interview, and then we'll come back with Monique and I on a quick follow-up. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. And why don't you give us a quick introduction to yourself and who you are, what you do, and uh, yeah. Well, thank you for having me, Ben. I'm happy to be here to talk about the work that we're doing at the Down East Fisheries Partnership. Um, my background is that I'm a socioecologist, which means that I study the interaction of fish and people as a system. Very nice. And uh, what I love about my work, which is an application of socioecology, is that it is getting at the heart of what we need to do to restore our fisheries in the Gulf of Maine to something like their former glory. Well, that sounds like uh, this is going to be a great discussion. And just to, to put all the cards on the table, I do think uh, we have to preface this by saying that Anne was a uh, professor of mine at Bowdoin College and uh, is one of the reasons why I am doing fisheries work because of the great teaching she did and uh, engaging me in what's happening in the fisheries world in Maine. Although I, I do, I was trying to think this morning of, I, I did an independent project with you uh, my senior year, and I cannot remember what that independent project was actually on. So it must have made a real impression. I remember all the details, but I think we'll, we'll just save that for another podcast. All right. And let me just correct the record. I'm not a professor. I'm an adjunct lecturer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's, there's probably a, a big pay difference in that title. So. Um, well, cool. So now you have you know, done a lot of different things in your time working in the fisheries world in Maine, and uh, we don't have to get into all those details, but now you are working for the Down East Fisheries Partnership. Um, and would you just kind of talk about who that partnership is with and why those organizations came together to form the Down East Fisheries Partnership? Sure. It was about three years ago. Uh, Manomet Center for Conservation Sciences I came together with the Penobscot East Resource Center, which is based in Stonington. Manomet's based in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts, but has an office here in Maine. Um, those two groups came together with the Down East Salmon Federation, which is based in Columbia Falls in mm -hmm. Washington County, because they recognized that working independently, they couldn't achieve their goals of restoring fisheries, but they needed to work together. The Down East Salmon Federation focuses on uh, restoring freshwater fisheries, and the Penobscot East Resource Center on restoring marine fisheries. And uh, Manomet has a, a, um, had a big picture interest in understanding um, ways of getting people to work together to find um, more sustainable ways of using our environment and um, uh, capitalizing on our natural resources without overusing them. And so I, I think that that's actually one of the one of the interesting things. Is so you, you had been, you started this off by saying that you're looking at fisheries and people and their interactions. And, um, and so we also talked about restoring the fisheries in 
down East Main. So how, how does that kind of fit together? How do the people fit into this, this puzzle with what you guys are doing with what Penobscot East and Manamet and uh, down East uh, in, the, in the Salmon Federation? Why? Why are we trying to do this? Why are you guys putting all this time and energy and resources into this, this region of the, of the state of Maine? Well, Eastern Maine, as uh, many people know, uh, has suffered economically for many years since the collapse of fisheries. And so let me stop you quickly. Where is Eastern Maine? So basically it's from the Penobscot River to the Canadian border. All right. It's uh, Hancock and Washington counties on the uh, land side, and it is the eastern coastal shelf on the water side. Mm-hmm. And people are important because people have are what has caused the degradation of the fisheries, and uh, people are important because they're the heart and soul of our communities. And fisheries are important because that's the historically the driver of the local economies in eastern Maine and we believe is what can uh, bring back those communities so that they can sustain themselves forever by fishing. So I think that that's that's great in thinking that so this is a conservation project but it all ties back to the communities and the people as well and so it's not just saving fish for the sake of saving fish or rebuilding fish populations for the environment, there's also a people component to that, that project. Right. I And I'm not sure that we have any pure conservation projects anymore. I think um, the environmental movement has recognized that people are a part of the environment and that you can't separate the two. Great. I mean, we all eat and we all do other things that connect us to the environment every day. Especially those uh, communities that rely on our, our marine resources and have a long history of doing so. So those those communities in Down East Maine have um, historically been some of the the poorest communities in the state of Maine, um, and have really relied on on the marine resources and felt some blows over um, the past fifty years as those those resources have kind of dropped off. Um, so the project that you guys are working on, um, you've got the Salmon Federation, you've got Penobscot East, which is working on the marine side. Uh, Manamet is kind of the overarching um, you know, bond that's tying everything together. What are you guys trying to do? What are the projects exactly? What are you, what are you doing day to day out there to make this happen? Well, I'll start with the big picture. Uh, we recognize that one of the barriers to restoring ground fish in the uh, near shore um, waters in eastern Maine is the fact that the rivers are not generating the forage anymore. Um, it's principally in the form of river herring or alewives. So that's one of the pieces of the puzzle to restoring groundfish. So that's one of the reasons to work um, with, the, with the Salmon Federation. From their perspective, of course, salmon are an anadromous fish, and the biggest obstacle um, for salmon recovery is what happens to the salmon in the marine environment. So it's a, it's a two-way street. They are also not limited to um, salmon, but are also interested in a whole range of anadromous species uh, from smelt and alewives and tomcod and lamprey and you name it. So it's, uh, nobody can afford to just work in the one environment anymore. So that's part of the, the issue is, is restoring the functioning of the ecosystem. The other piece is figuring out a way to manage the resources so that they are sustainable. And we believe that the issue in Eastern Maine 
is that uh, fisheries have been managed at the wrong scale. So Eastern Maine has been treated as if it was a part of the larger Gulf of Maine, when in fact it is ecologically distinct. It's much more like the Scotian Shelf than it is like the rest of the Gulf of Maine, which begs the question of why it isn't managed separately. So our belief is that the, the, the coastal shelf in Eastern Maine and along the rest of the Gulf of Maine is uh, prime spawning habitat for groundfish and other species and ought to be, um, those spawning areas ought to be protected in ways that they aren't now. So th this is really uh, very interesting stuff because most of the time when we look at the management of our fisheries, uh, we talk about groundfish. So groundfish are things like cod and haddock and flounders um, that are, are typically, those are, those are fish that are out in the marine resource, out in the ocean, right? Those are, those are federally managed, those are state managed. Um, but for the most part, those are things that are out in the ocean and are managed in a very different way than the resources that are on land. A lot of times, nobody's even talking between those two different communities when it comes to river preservation and ocean preservation. Uh, so I think that what you guys have done, which is really great, is starting the conversation saying, well, what's happening in our rivers obviously has an impact on our oceans. Why aren't we having a bigger discussion about this? Um, and so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the um, digging into the, the river herring and the, the work that you guys have done with the river herring and salmon and um, kind of thinking about how do we connect those different resources and the conservation work that's being done on the terrestrial side and the river side and then the ocean side. Um, and, and you know where are you guys coming in and trying to, to move that conversation forward? Uh, so a lot of people are familiar with the work uh, that's been done by the Penobscot River Restoration Trust to restore anadromous fisheries in the Penobscot River. And uh, alewives are a, a tremendously resilient species. And it's not an exaggeration to say that if you provide fish passage, they will take advantage of it. And um, opening up the Penobscot has been like flipping a switch. And the alewives are um, coming out of that river going up the river in droves and coming out in, in droves times 10. So dro droves is kind of a, a, a wishy-washy term there. Do you have, a, have some numbers, like scale, that you can throw at me that, kind of, that would explain the, the shift that we've seen in the, in the short term? This is in a project that hasn't been going on very long. So um, you know, do, you, do you, know, you know the size of the scale of, of what that shift has started to look like? Well, in some cases, uh, some of the... the uh, I really don't know. The okay. smaller um, streams that had no fish passage, uh, they have fish for the first time. Um, but my understanding is it's 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 like five times, and that's in the just in the period of time that the dams have been, um, in in a couple of cases removed, and in another case fish passage added. So they've demonstrated a tremendous response by the alewives. Um, we like to say that we're what's next. You know, the alewives are coming out there, they're, they're the food. Um, what we're trying to do is figure out, is, are the alewives the flip of the switch for the groundfish? That's not clear yet. Um, and less clear for salmon, because the salmon swim much further afield than uh, the groundfish do. So what we're trying to do is ensure that the groundfish that uh, spawn so productively on the coastal shelf, if they're given the opportunity, that the juveniles that are produced from that have something to eat. 
and that's the role of the um, the forage, the the alewives. So that is, I think that's perfect. I think that's you know we've seen um, in other areas of the United States, people are really focused on trying to bring back those nearshore forage stocks, and and they I think they've seen some um, some benefit to that. Where where's the next step with you guys? What what are you working on right now in terms of projects? What what are you trying to do? Um, day to day to to push this movement forward. So we're we're also taking the um, the the lesson of the Penobscot River Restoration Trust work and applying it not at a bigger scale because I don't know that you could get a bigger scale, but actually at a much smaller scale all throughout Eastern Maine because alewives will spawn in any stream that leads to um, a pond or a lake, and that the uh, potential for alewife production is. Um, very large throughout eastern Maine and we're working with a lot of communities um, Penobscot on the on the Bagaduce for example to build a fishway um, into a pond that had been closed off for alewife production for years and when you combine that that type of project with the reopening of the St. Croix with the um, uh, opening up of the East Machias and there's a pond in Surrey that's been reopened. Uh, we're talking about um, a dramatic increase in uh, alewife production, but also an engagement of local communities in the restoration of their own resources. And our goal is for them to play a role in the um, stewardship of those resources going forward. Because it's not enough just to take out a fishway. They require maintenance. Somebody's got to pay attention to the harvesting schedule. Etc. But that's where you build the um, the engagement of the community in the management of their own resources. And, and so we spend a lot of time talking about the resources and the fish and, and the part that is really interesting and, and cool in my mind. But there's also the the people side, which is equally as important. Um, what has been the reception thus far from those communities to the work that you guys are doing? We had a workshop in uh, January and. It was just wonderful to see people come to the workshop and talk about what was happening in their community and then say at the end of the day that they had no idea that there were other people who were as interested in alewives or that alewives had this potential for uh, bringing back the ground fish. And it's just created a lot of energy, a lot of positive energy for, um, for the work we're trying to do. Uh, we're also doing some science um, to help get some numbers, um, document the impact of what we're doing. And we've, we've um, developed a, working with the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, a methodology for tracking freshwater-derived nutrients, which are basically alewives, as they move through the marine food chain using stable isotopes of, of um, carbon and nitrogen. Don't ask me to explain more than that. So. The idea is that as we, we turn these rivers and streams back on for alewives, we'll be able to measure the impact on the productivity of the coastal ecosystem. So that's pretty cool. Uh, another project we're doing is with John Lichter at Bowdoin College, who has uh, received funding for a uh, very sophisticated uh, sonar, um, piece of uh, sonar equipment that can identify schools of fish it's, it's basically a very fancy fish finder um, because he wants to look at the interaction of predator fish like cod on the juvenile alewives as they exit the rivers. 
and we're excited to use this. He's, he's kind of ground truthing it, water truthing it now, and we're looking forward to using it in um, Eastern Maine um, later this summer where we'll look at the same kind of interactions, but maybe also at uh, figure out how to, to uh, look at salmon as well, which would be exciting. So Monique, uh, we're back from the interview that I did with Anne. What do you think? Uh, it's fantastic. I'd also just like to say I happen to like the sound of seagulls. Are you talking about the feedback? I'm talking the about the feedback. The, the, the wind noise? The wind uh, and the outside noises. All right. No big deal. Um, so Ben, I do have a question, actually. Um, I know we have river herring runs in mid-coast Maine. Has the environment and fish stocks benefited from those runs? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the very easy answer is yes. It's always good that river herring runs are an important part of the nutrient cycle of like moving stuff from the ocean back up into the rivers and into the, the lakes and streams. But the, the really big question that I think that they're starting to try and figure out with Down East Maine is, are the ties and the connections of bringing the groundfish stocks like cod and haddock and flounder, bringing those back into inshore and nearshore waters, is it the river herring that's the piece of the puzzle that's missing in that area? And right now, we, we don't have a lot of great data that that is working in other parts of Maine. Our fishermen still have to go really far offshore to catch groundfish for the most part. Uh, there are a lot of other factors that go into it. We've got millions of lobster traps in a lot of the areas where the tra traditional groundfish browns throughout inshore Maine. Um, there's bait, there's all types of runoff coming into the ocean from rivers and streams. So it's really hard to just say that we've got the silver bullet that's going to fix down east Maine's problems when it comes to groundfish populations. They haven't had groundfish in the near shore waters in down east Maine in 50 years. So I don't know, but there is a, a hope there that if you can start to bring the food back, the fish are going to chase the food. And so they're spending tons of money. There's lots of money, well-spent money, hopefully, to bring these river herring runs back, to bring back the alewives and the bluebacks and then the salmon. And hopefully that will bring cod and haddock back to this area as well. So not a lot of data. There's actually a professor at Bowdoin who is got a grant to look at some of the groundfish and what's happening with uh, the river herring near the Kennebec. So that'll be interesting to see what he starts to pull up there as well. But um, yeah, so no, that was a great question. So um, I didn't have any questions about for myself, <laughs> but we'll, uh, I guess this is gonna pull it to the end and I'll throw it to you, Monique. Do you have any like shameless plugs that I, we should be thinking I about? I do have some shameless plugs. So the first one I would say is for Mainers listening. There was an article in the Bangor Daily News just a few days ago about our friend um, Matt Luck who fishes for wild caught salmon, obviously, in uh, Bristol Bay, Alaska. And we will be helping him promote some of his product in Maine, and he will be dropping off some of that product in the Brunswick area on October 15. But you can start to sign up for your share on May 18. Just Google Pride of Bristol Bay. And then... So, so that's kind of like if somebody were to buy half a cow or something like that. Yes. You get a frozen product, put it in your freezer, use it for the rest of the year. Yes. And you got some last year. And I, I got some. I got 20 pounds and I'm still working on it. it. We but eat it's it like delicious. Yeah. It's fantastic. Everybody who I feed it to is uh, 
I mean, we've heard nothing but good feedback from the people who got it last year. Yep. Uh, other bonus to this year is so again, it's on October 15 in the Brunswick area. Um, Matt will be cooking up some salmon for us, and we're going to work with some of the fishermen in our sector to have some of their fish available as well for people to try. So that will be perhaps awesome. we'll have a, a Maine v. Alaska competition. It's not even close. Go Maine, Maine wins. Um, and then lastly, uh, this is Maine Coast Fishermen's Association's 10th year. So we are going to be celebrating that on June 7 at the Slipway in Thomaston with our hook, line, and dinner event. Um, you can check out our website, and we also have a Facebook event. So let us know you're coming. We hope to see you there. There'll be a silent auction, uh, local seafood, and Scott, the chef there, will be making blueberry pie for desserts. Also a cash bar and lots of fun. Yeah, and so that's 25 bucks, fresh what? seafood, and all you can eat. It's going to be awesome. It's going to really be so much fun. Um, I'm planning on it being nice weather as well, so you're welcome. I'm glad you have that scheduled yep, for us. Yeah, no problem. Perfect. Yep. Uh, and one other thing I, I you didn't mention, but uh, we've got on a uh, couple of weeks, the Blue Drinks in Portland. Blue Drinks, yep. So Blue Drinks we host at the last Thursday of every month, and this is an informal networking-ish salty conversation for fishy folks um, over drinks. This month will be May 26th at Loyal Citizen Clothing Company, 366 4th Street in Portland, and that starts at 5 o'clock, and it's going to be tons of fun. And just to give you the heads up for those, again, that are in Maine, June will be at Rising Tide, and in July we'll be at Cook's Lobster and Ale House. Awesome. So um, I did that interview with Ann last year there's been a lot of updates uh we're going to be typing up some notes for what's been happening over the past year and we're putting those on our website and our blog you can check that out uh, Uh and you can also follow us on twitter me coast fists oh, i can't even say that no M-E you can't every co- every time i'm gonna stumble over this but it's me coast fish a s s n at Twitter, right? On Twitter, at in. You're, I don't know. Yeah, I know. You don't even do the Twitter. People have, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so check us out, follow us, find us, and uh, thanks again for joining us. This episode of Maine Coast Doc Talk was produced by Emily Tucker and myself. Thank you, Anne, for joining me in our interview last summer and for sharing a more recent update with us. Maine Coast Doc Talk is a product of the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association.